Coming up on Chasing the Natty, apologies for the sudden break we had to take last week, but we're back on schedule this week. We've discussed players who've moved around in the transfer portal, so now we'll be turning our attention to the coaches who have made their moves across the country. Today, I'll be bringing on Ethan Sowers from our CFF and DFS team here at Campus Canton to discuss 10 coaching changes in the Power 4 conferences that are sure to have major impacts in your CFF leagues this fall. All that and more coming right after this. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning during the offseason at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to CampusCanton.com and subscribe there with one of our awesome tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, C2C, IDP, DFS, betting needs, whatever you need for playing games with college football. We have a ton of fun over there. We got rankings, articles, tools, depth charts as part of our C2C Winning Edge package, DFS contents, and even more than that. You can also check out the store over there at campusacant.com where we have our brand new CTN shirts. They're only, I believe, 25 to 30 bucks, depending on the kind of shirt that you want to get over there. So pretty cheap shirts. Absolutely a great way to directly support the show. So Go check that out. You can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. And the show is at Chasing the Natty. And the handsome fellow to my right over there is Mr. Mr. Ethan Sowers at Ethan Sowers on Twitter. Ethan, how are you doing today, sir? And welcome to, I, I, I almost said welcome to Chasing the Natty in general, but I know <laughs> you have been on the show before, just not with me. But welcome to being on the show with me, I guess. Ethan, how are you yeah, doing today? Yeah, for sure. I'm doing real well, Jared. I uh, I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Um, I know I've I made my my chasing the natty uh, debut about a year ago, but uh, you know I'm I'm glad to finally be here with you. I think uh, it was probably a, a a tough ask to get somebody in here after what you and uh, Nate put up last week. So uh, that was uh, an exciting and entertaining rendition of uh, Britney Spears. So I'm I'm excited to see what we have in store for uh, for our listeners today. Well, it was certainly a tough act to follow up for anybody. I <laughs> I, I completely understand that, but you have taken on the challenge here today, sir. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with you, Ethan, and what you do at Campus Scan, why don't you go ahead and give everybody a quick um, rundown of what exactly you focus on over there? Yeah, for sure. So um, my main area is college DFS. That's kind of my my sweet spot. Um, I have really fallen in love with Campus uh, Canton leagues and uh, CFF leagues. Um, I'm a little bit newer to, you know, just these straight up CFF best balls, but um, it's it's jump in and, and go 100 miles an hour. I think I've already uh, joined three of them so far this this year and we're, we're what we're not even halfway, just over halfway through February. So 
crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, I uh, host the uh, Campus to Caching podcast with Chris K in season, uh, where we break down uh, daily fantasy slates on DraftKings and um, you know, we're putting some, some YouTube content out there as well during the week to, uh, to help, help get everybody, uh, kind of over that hurdle. We know it's a lot of stuff to digest with, uh, college football and daily fantasy. So, uh, we love it. And, uh, it's, it's just another extension of this wonderful CFF, uh, arm. So we, we love to do it. For sure. It's definitely an entirely, entirely new arena for people to hop into. If people, you know, playing a season long league, maybe a bit too much time but you know some weeks you're probably going to be able to hop into a contest dfs definitely the way to go and you and chris k put out phenomenal content on that front both in article form and in in youtube form throughout the really the you kind of start up a little bit during the off season but then you really get into it during the season of course so yeah absolutely continue to follow ethan on twitter for that kind of stuff during the season but for now, you're helping us out a ton over here with the CFF team. And again, you're getting ready to help us with the supplemental um, yeah. pages for the freshman supplemental guide um, we got yeah. coming out on March 1st. I guess I'll go ahead and throw that up on the screen as part of our little mini infomercials before we really get into it. Um, the freshman and supplemental guide for Campus Canton this year will be out March 1st. Pre-orders are already available on the website if you are playing in any kind of c2c cff dynasty league this is really the place to get your first look at the freshman class how they're going to translate to college from high school and they do a phenomenal job with it every single year we on the cff team we're in charge of a lot of the supplemental guys so you'll see some of my writings ethan's writings chris k and nate marquise are volunteering to write for it as well so if you like all of those guys absolutely go support us by checking out that freshman supplemental guide Phenomenal, phenomenal guide every single year. And then a couple of other things here. The returning production profiles as part of our C2C winning edge package is now available at campusacant.com. As Ethan already mentioned, we're in best balls. We're in mock drafts already, which, by the way, if you're interested in participating in one, DM me at CFF underscore Jared. I'll get you in one. Um, But we tons of guys already where people will take somebody who they did not know went off to the NFL or... They let a guy fall way too late because they had no idea that he was returning. Nicholas Ian Allen has put in hours of blood, sweat, and tears to go through each of the 134 available teams in the FBS to find out to the best of his knowledge who is coming back, who is leaving. And quite frankly, it is probably the most important tool you can have out there right now. Part of our C2C winning edge package over at campusaken.com. Absolutely go check it out if you want a quick rundown of who all is back. And then last but not least here... Go check out, as Ethan said, um, go check out the latest Defending the Natty episode. We released it last week in place of the Chasing the Natty podcast. We usually release it on the 15th of each month, but I got sick last week, so I released it to you guys a little early. Uh, great, great show Nate and I had, uh, not only because we sang a Grammy Award-winning rendition of Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby Back One More Time, the other part of it is we had some great discussions on young players versus old older experienced players in CFF Dynasty, how do you kind of balance that out on your rosters? What does that look like when you pit two players up against each other? Great, great show overall. So definitely go and check that out. So Ethan, now that I've spieled everything out there, are you ready to start discussing some of these coaching changes? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to jump in, man. Let's let's hop to. All right. Let's go ahead and start with really quite literally the elephant in the room. Um is there a bigger is there a bigger story in college football 
besides NIL, besides the transfer portal, really, that's rocked the entire college football world than the retirement of Nick Saban, Ethan? Man, not at all. That's the the ripple effects. I, I think we're still seeing it, you know, a, a little bit, but such a big swap. Um, not only just, you know, the fact that we lose we lose Saban from the game for for uh for now at least I, I don't think he's he's coming back but losing him um but also the the ideology changes as well that oh, comes yeah. with that of uh Caleb DeBoer who's really just lit the world on fire the last four years five years if you count his uh his run in, in at Indiana still so uh you know it's 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 exciting and I think it opens up a lot of uh fodder for you know what's going to go on with this this offense moving forward for this year yeah as ethan uh touched on there david retires the replacement as we know now is caleb i I, what i and already my first typo of the night on a graphic is not caleb DeBoer; it is kaylin DeBoer. um is the replacement for nick saban it's hard to follow in any kind of legend's footsteps but DeBoer, i think you would agree, Ethan, is more than up to the challenge given the history that he has had, the program he built, not only at Washington over the last two years, but before that at Fresno State, but before that he was what he was able to do at Indiana. He was able to get Indiana going for yeah. a good while, which, um, if I remember correctly, did, did Indiana beat Penn State that one year where Penix um, barely got it over the... Yeah, so sorry. That, that your Penix didn't get it over the uh, the goal line? Yes. I, I, think, I think that happened at some point, but... Uh... Ooh, sore subject still, you know, gosh, four years later? <laughs> four years, yeah, little, little twing of the heartstring. No, it's, I yeah. totally, totally get that. Um, But again, if Bama was going to go and find somebody, this is probably a guy that easily was at the top of anybody's list, program sure. builder. The question to, in many people's minds is, rightfully, can he keep the dominance of Bama going? Obviously, the coaching change anywhere, you're going to expect a little less year one, but really it, what happens after that is the main deal. Bama lost a ton of the transfer portal after this happened. As much yeah. as they try to retain different guys, lost some coaching staffs that they wanted to retain, maybe. It is what it is. It's like, what can he do moving forward? And really, for us, in the per- for CFF purposes, what can he do with the pieces there, right? His CFF record has been phenomenal over the last couple of years. I mean, 2023, Penix, QB17, Roma Dunze, wide receiver two. Dylan Johnson, who wasn't even really the main back, really, to start the year at first. RB35, even though he didn't really get a full season's worth of workload. The year before that, Penix, QB8. Salua Papa, RB48. Adunze, wide receiver 17. McMillan, wide receiver 18. Year before that, 2021. Jake Hayner, QB24. Ronnie Rivers, RB65. Jalen Cropper, wide receiver 30. So clearly, year after year, DeBoer can get it done with his offensive system there. So, Ethan, I'll throw it over to you, man. Given what we've seen from him, do you think he can keep it going at Bama? And then who are really the beneficiaries there? Yeah, so it's, I do think he's going to be successful, um, at least in having an offense that is something we want to invest in from a fantasy perspective. It's interesting that this is going to be his first year as a head coach without Grubbs as his OC. Um, So there's, there's a little bit, you know, the fact that he was the OC from from the jump back at Fresno does give you a little bit of pause of, okay, is is he going to be able, not only is he stepping up in a um, an aspect of 
this football community, this college community is going to be a lot more um, invested and a lot more um, in his business as a head Mm -hmm. coach, being the head coach at Bama, as opposed to being the Huskies head coach. Um, So he's, he's going to not only have to do all of those things he does as a head coach, he's doing more of that and more booster pleasing, more shaking hands, kissing babies, that, that good stuff as the Bama head coach. Um, and to turn that over now to somebody who he's familiar with, but not somebody who he's trusted with the full offense um, previously. So I think it's going to be interesting to to kind of see how this goes, this, this new, um, this new kind of marriage of obviously DeBoer knows how to, to how to run an offense. So yep. it's going to be his system, but it's somebody else who's going to be um, really um, headlining it and, and, and piloting that. So it's going to be interesting um as uh i was kind of digging in here i've I've got some neutral game script passer ratings for all of these coaches that that we've uh, we're going to be talking about today um over the four years DeBoer has a lifetime uh neutral game script passer rating of 56.4 percent um so pretty heavy uh but it was actually at an all-time low last season of 52.6 percent um so leaning a lot on dylan johnson um, and that's not necessarily something that I think they're going to be doing per se, leaning on one guy. Um, Justice Haynes, uh, is definitely an intriguing piece there. Um, but we've seen DeBoer utilize, you know, Ronnie Rivers, Jordan Mims at the same time. Um, sure. he had a committee last year in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be kind of, you know, watch and see, wait and see. Um, but right now I think Justice Haynes is, is one of the more polarizing guys in that offense because you just don't know what kind of a workload he's going to be getting. Um, I like Milrow. Um, there's this, uh, this mindset that Jalen Milrow, uh, is going to be successful because Penix was more of a rusher back in Indiana before mm-hmm. all of his injury concern. But that being said, Penix is uh best rushing season was the year that he was under DeBoer. It was it was in Indiana. Yep. But he only had 22 carries for 119 yards and two rushing touchdowns. So that is just pales in comparison to what uh Milrow presents uh with his skill set. And I think this is really uncharted territory for DeBoer more so than some are willing to accept. Um because Penix Penix, he, he was he, he was shifty, but he wasn't really, you know, the elusive threat that Milrow is. So um, I I do tend to agree that Milrow is going to be just fine in this offense, though. I think DeBoer is savvy enough to um, tailor his offense to the guys around him. Um, but more so, I think that's that's the the bigger conversation is the weapons that he's he's got this year, just because. You know, Jeremy Bernard is coming over uh, from Washington, but, you know, Jalen Hale's there. What kind of role is he going to do? Can he really step up into that spot? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. And I, I have kind of a galaxy brain thought that's probably stretching things a little bit too much. But um, the idea of Emmanuel Henderson, the running back turned wide receiver, who could he go back and be a running back again and fit that Ronnie Rivers, Jordan Mims type role? I, I think don't... that's really interesting, really intriguing. Thanks. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here too. And, and let me know, uh, kind of is, is the Emmanuel Henderson thought, uh, appealing to you or is that just 
one stretch too far. That's a little stretch too far for me. Again, <laughs> well, because like Jim Miller and Justice Haynes are both really good receiving backs in their own right. Sure, so it's not like sure. they don't have that skill set. Now, obviously, Emmanuel Henderson, smaller guy. If that's really what DeBoer wants to do, I think we see Haynes and Miller maybe or both of them transfer if that's really the direction that DeBoer is going to go. Because if they're like, <clears throat> if you're going to go with Henderson over us and what yeah. we can bring to the table, like, yeah, good for luck. sure. Um, the weapons are interesting, right? Because that's kind of the most consistent thing we can see DeBoer getting is these wide receivers over the last couple of years, right? And Jordan Bernard, at least through the drafts we've done so far, seems to be the consensus wide receiver one for this offense that people are willing to invest in. Now, where he goes in drafts has definitely varied from draft to draft. I think I've seen as high as like the seventh round. I've seen him go as late as like the 11th, 12th round. Very much yeah. in that middle tier where people are probably waiting a little bit to see like, all right, who starts stepping up for Alabama? I like Jalen Hale. I made that clear on the podcast with Nate last week. But we can't forget about Kobe Prentice and Kendrick Law there. Yeah. Like, yeah, neither one of them were like recruiting superstars or anything like that. But Kobe Prentice was on the field as a true freshman for Alabama. So clearly he gets involved there. Kendrick Law has a pretty unique skill set to where if DeBoer wants to get creative with him, he could be somebody that could be fun for them to utilize. Just definitely something to watch overall <clears throat> in terms of Milrow and everything like that. One thing I think we people keep kind of forgetting with Milrow is that his two offensive coordinators that he's dealt with so far while at Alabama have been Bill O'Brien and Tommy Reese, which neither one of them are atrocious OCs or anything like that. But DeBoer has shown, like you said, with, with, get, with guys like Michael Penix, that he can develop those guys. He can really take somebody that others would find difficult and kind of work some magic with them. And it, that is an impressive um, skill set. No, it, as an impressive trait to have as a coach. So I think that Milrow sure. is in better hands now than he's ever had before. And I've also said, by the springtime, we're going to know what's going on. DeBoer, yeah. I feel like, will let Milro know whether or not this is going to work out or not, and he'll tell Milro go transfer somewhere else, and we'll figure something out from there. Because he brought Ma Austin Mack in for a reason. So, any other yeah. thoughts on DeBoer here, Ethan, or are you ready to move on? Yeah, I mean, uh, just touching on you know the Mack Milro thing, I think I think you're right. I think it will definitely be clear if DeBoer doesn't want to lose that locker room, and he wants to have you know the clear from the jump hey what's going on is you know Milrow's not the guy letting letting Milrow know that and letting Milrow make the choice for him by transferring is absolutely the move it, it's it's the way he saves face with the fan base while also you know being up front and and starting his his uh tenure off in the way that he wants to so I'm full support of that and you know I like I said earlier I I think Milrow is the one that they'll go with and I, I think it's going to be a, a lovely marriage for for the year that that it's there so all righty so with the departure of DeBoer from Washington to Alabama that leaves open the Washington head coaching job so of course I had to go and mess up another one of our CFF systems <laughs> they had to go and grab Jed Fish the former head coach at Arizona he is now the head coach at Washington and what's kind of interesting about this one is that we've seen over and over again when these head coaches move on, they have like the players have a 30-day window to kind of follow their coaches where they can or if they want to follow their coach or if they want to go somewhere else. They have that opportunity, even if it's outside the transfer portal window here. 
Fish did not bring along his two biggest pieces from Arizona. Fafita, McMillan, both sticking around with the Wildcats, loyal to the fan base, loyal to the school. You love to see that in this day and age. But it does kind of leave Jed Fish in a pickle here because he doesn't bring even a guy like Montana Lamonius Craig, Kevin Green. None of his like major receivers come with them. The only guy he's able to bring along with him was Jonah Coleman. So yeah. very interesting to look at here. Washington completely gutted by the draft, by the transfers after DeBoer left. Fish has his work cut out for him. The good news is Fish has built a program up already. Like we saw what he's done yeah. in Arizona. It's been super, super impressive what he's done with the Wildcats, especially since he hasn't really had a ton of head coaching experience before. He had one year as the interim head coach over at UCLA. Other than that, he's kind of been more of an analyst on the side than anything. Made a big jump from the Patriots QB coach to Arizona, then very yeah. admirably over there. So Ethan... Why don't you break down what Jetfish has been able to do over the last two years and how does it translate to the guys he has now at Washington? Yeah, for sure. So Jetfish, I remember hearing, I think it was during the bowl game, um, the uh, commenters were, uh, were talking about Fish and his philosophy of program building and how um, when you get to a new school and you have to turn around a program, you absolutely need to start on the offense because uh, defensive guys will play for a uh, or offensive players will play for a team that has a bad defense. Defensive players do not want to play for a team that does not have an offense. And so it's really just, we love to hear that as fantasy guys, because you know, that tells us that it's going to be full speed. All of the investments are going to be going to the offense uh, in in the early part of his, uh, his start there. Um, And I, I think that that's, um, pretty well seen in the fact, you know, with, with Coleman and Rogers, uh, being able him, him being able to convince Will Rogers to stick around, um, after Rogers transferred in and, and opened up his, his commitment for a little bit there. Um, I think that that bodes well for us. Um, you know, in those, uh, three years as a head coach, uh, at Washington, I had a 49.6% neutral game script passer rate. Um, it increased each year, uh, which is is good to know. So it, he did start a little bit more run heavy. You utilize the weapons you have. Um, it, it makes complete sense. Um, but even the high watermark for Fish's, uh, um, Fish's uh, career so far uh, at 55.2% um, neutral game script passer rate is only 3% more than Kalen DeBoer's low. So we... Mm-hmm are still going to see, I think it's not going to be as high flying as the Washington offense has been, even if they had all the same weapons as they've they've had in the past. So the fact that they really are pared down now, um, Coleman, I do think it's going to be business as usual. Um, I think that, you know, moving as a running back from the pack 12 to the big 10 is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Um, But there's no reason to downgrade Coleman just from, um, you know, his, his talent standpoint, moving from Arizona to Washington, uh, Will Rogers, I think is, um, you know, I, I tried to to come up with a comp for each of the major pieces on each of these teams with the coaches, uh, previous players. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as much as I didn't want to make a Noah Fafita comp for Will Rogers, just because, you know, talent wise, I think there's definitely a differential there. Um, I couldn't, go and and go after you know will Plummer or Jaden delora as the mm-hmm. guy to best comp him to 
Um, so I, I really do think that Rogers uh, is going to be, uh, you know, fit that offense more like a Noah Fafita. He's going to be a pocket presence. Um, he is more experienced than Fafita, which is the one thing that he does have going for him. Um, he's handled new systems before uh, already. So this is not his first rodeo in, in learning new systems and, and having a chance to adapt. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. doesn't have nearly the weapons Fafita has, has obviously. Um, but the fact that Fish was able to bring Brennan Carroll along and, and, and most of that stays the same. I think that we're still going to get a positive, a net positive fantasy production on offense from these guys. It's just going to be, you know, how much of that's going to be in garbage time because they're just decimated all over and don't have the guys to keep up. Um, that's going to be the question. And, you know, from a depth standpoint, what what are they going to be working with? Is this a team that's going to fade down the stretch because they they are just decimated um, and, and don't have guys that are able to stay healthy? That's, that's my concern um, with the pantry being completely bare for Washington. This will be a team to watch in the spring portal window for sure. Because again, looking yeah. at the wide receiver room, right? Like completely decimated. Because again, Polk, Adunze, McMillan, they're all off to the draft. Duh, makes sense, right? They all had incredible years, went to the national championship. Penix is out of eligibility. Um, so they don't even get their quarterback back if they were to come back. To me, right now, it's pretty clear who the top guys are in that room. You got Jeremiah Hunter coming in yeah. from Cal. I think that is a talent that a lot of people like, and it is impressive that Fish was able to get him to stick around, even though clearly could have had the opportunity to sit there and say, like, oh, no, I wanted to play for Kalen DeBoer. I'm going to go to Bama now. Fish was able to hold yeah. on to him, at least for right now. We'll see. Again, we'll see what happens in the spring. And then yeah. Giles Jackson got a ton of run uh, with Washington last year, stuck around with Fish coming in. I think he will be another guy who will start for, sure. for the Huskies. You have to think they're going to go after some guys in the portal in the spring, right? Yeah. Again, just all over the roster. It's the depth's completely gone. There's nobody really in the portal outside of guys that Fish could have brought over from Arizona. And they did bring some guys over from Arizona, but like at the same time, it's yeah. one of those things where he's still got work to do. I don't know how well this is going to translate in year one, but with Hunter being like, in my opinion, clearly the most talented receiver in that room. Number one wide receivers on really bad teams that have to pass a ton because they're behind all the time could still exactly. be very interesting. <clears throat> the only thing you're worried about is scoring opportunities. So, yeah. In regards to that, the transfer portal uh, point, you know, I'm really curious how much of a factor Washington's weird quarter system made um, in the fact that, you know, they have this late uh, swap of, of coaches um, and how far into to the semester or the quarter are you? Um, and, and what does that, you know, what does that look like for Rogers and Hunter? Um, sure. You know, was it more of an academic reason that they had to stick around? Either way, you know, it benefits Fish. He gets he gets the whole spring to kind of help mold them and, and try and get their buy-in on this this team. Um, but, you know, I've, Giles Jackson is a great name to bring up, too. I, I really do like him. And I think, um, you know, Jackson and Hunter right now, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's not, you know, what Washington had before, but it is a combination that I think a lot of schools would be happy to have as, uh, as in their wide receiver room. Um, you just like to see more depth and that's definitely what they're going to, going to go after in the portal. All right. Let's follow the third domino to fall because of this change here, because Arizona now has a head coaching opening. We got to go check out 
who filled that one, and that is Brent Brennan, the head coach from San Jose State, moving up to the Big 12 now. That's something I got to get used to saying. Arizona's in the Big 12 now. Um, we're not going to talk about like what happened at San Jose State because that is a topic for next week, potentially, with the G5 head coaches. But Brent Brennan coming to Arizona is super, super interesting, again, because of what Fish was not able to bring with him. He comes in and inherits some really quality pieces with Noah Fafita, obviously. You got Type McMillan there. Uh, Montana Limonius Craig and... Um, Kevin Green are still kicking around over there. They lose Jacob Cowan, which sucks. But obviously some, some great pieces there. Brent Brennan was able to bring in Ja'Cory Merritt out of New Mexico, which was a huge get. Quali Conley follows him from San Jose State, which I think is a pretty massive addition right there. Brennan is such an interesting coach to me because over the last couple of years, he has really adapted his offenses depending on what has been working. Because, like, let's look at 2022, right? Or I guess, yeah, we'll start with 2022. Run game was not working nearly as much as it did this past year. Robinson, Kyrie Robinson was RB69 in 2022. Javon Cordero had to run for his life constantly. Yeah, that offensive line. Passed the ball a ton. That O-line was a massive issue, like I said, Ethan. They were one of the worst teams in the nation when it came to sacks allowed. They were allowing 3.2 sacks per game. This ended with Cordero being QB 31 of the year. Like I said, Robinson was RB 69. And Elijah Cooks, their number one wide receiver, wide receiver 16, because they just kept passing it to him. That was the only thing that was really working. 2023, it's almost like a completely different offense because of what was working again. O-line, much better. They went from bottom 20 in the nation in sacks allowed per game to 35th in the nation this past year. They they cut the number of sacks they allowed per game in half. They went from 3.2 to 1.54. That was massive for them, massive for them, and that made the run game so much better. That's why Kyrie Robinson finishes a top-10 RB. Quali Conley, while he didn't get the touchdown, still had a very respectable run near the end of the year where both him and Robinson were startable in fantasies. And then the opposite was going on. You lose Elijah Cooks, none of the other wide receivers started working, man. You lose Justin Lockhart before the year, and mm-hmm. Nick yep. Nash is really the only thing working at wide receiver, and he finishes wide receiver 136 in CFF that year. Yeah. So, like I said, we I'm not going to say we don't know what we get out of Brent Brennan, because, again, he has a history there, but we know he'll adapt to what he has here. And so, yep. Ethan, he's got Fafita, he's got Ted McMillan, He's got Quali Conley, Jacory Merritt. He's got an offensive line that re- returns 80% of its production. Granted, that one person they're missing is the left tackle, so that's your blindside tackle. It's a pretty big one, but still. What do we expect? What do you expect out of Arizona's offense this year? Obviously, yeah. T-Max is number one wide receiver in CFF, but like guys like Conley, Merritt, Fafita, what are your expectations for them? Yeah, so... <clears throat> When looking at, at Fafita, I think the best comp in Brennan's history is actually Josh Love and not um, not Shevin Cordero. I'm a big fan of Brett Brennan's, uh, Brent Brennan's, uh, particularly, you know, that offense that they had in 2019 um, was just ridiculous. It was high flying. Love threw 481 times for nearly 4,000 yards and 22 touchdowns. Um it gives a lot of excitement for Noah Fafita with that kind of ceiling and the the idea that a, a, a head coach could potentially let you throw it that, that many times. Um, you know, obviously 
a lot of that will depend on how Arizona's defense is and, sure. and how how well they're able to uh, keep the games in hand. Um, in the Big 12, you know, I, I do think that uh, they're going to see some offenses that are stylistically a little bit different than they went up against in the, the Pac-12. So it'll be interesting to see how, how the defenses uh, adapt uh, to new conferences. Um, but that being said, you know, I think the bigger story here is actually about the OC. So Brent Brennan has been a head coach for seven years at San Jose State. Every single year he's been with Kevin McGiven, uh, his OC. Um, didn't bring McGiven with him. Uh, McGiven oh. was retained on staff by San Jose State. Um, and Dino Babers, you know, I, I tried tracking some stuff down last year or last last night, uh, trying to kind of hunt for when the last time Dino Babers called plays. Um, and, you know, it's it's a little confusing. I did find that he at least was calling plays for part of the season in 2018. Um, so, you know, that's that's it's been a minute for sure since then. But, um, you know, whether it's going to be Brennan calling plays or Babers calling plays, um, I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, I think that that really comes into play when we talk about this running back tandem mm-hmm. uh, with Ja'Cory Krosky Merritt and Quali Connolly uh, coming uh, to the Wildcats. You know, the comp that I went to for these guys was actually uh, channeling Babers uh, history. Um, and back in 2018, they had Mo Neal and Dante Strickland in the backfield uh, as kind of both power backs. Um, neither of them was, was you know, undersized. So I think that that fits well for what Krosky Merritt and Connolly can bring to the table. Um, that split had Neal going um, 869 yards on 155 carries for five touchdowns, while Strickland was the 1B in that uh, duo, had 121 carries. 588 yards and six touchdowns. Um, so both were productive, but neither were electric. Um, but the thing about that offense was that they had Eric Dungy at quarterback. And if, if you remember Eric Dungy, he was, you know, wild rushing upside. And so he was was much more of a um a running back in the a third running back in the mix there. Um, so I think that we could really add about 60 touches to each back if wow. we were to see that split with. Um, you know, a, a pocket passer like Fafita. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're looking at guys that these guys who I think one A in this offense has 200 touch upside or 200 carry upside. I think, you know, one B is still going to be looking, you know, between 150, 170 carries maybe. Um, so I'm really okay with either of these guys. It's it's probably going to be a situation where I'll take whichever guy is, goes off the board second um, in this backfield. Um, but I, I am a okay with, uh, with going after, um, one of these guys and, and mentioning those carry numbers, you know, that's obviously the ceiling. I think they're going to want to throw the ball on, uh, on this team because they know that they've got Fafita and McMillan. Fafita and McMillan want to make Jed Fish look bad. <laughs> they want to, they want to make <laughs> them look, make him look like they were the ones who have, have been carrying this, this rebuild for Arizona. So um i'm all for it man i for i sure. want to see what they can uh do personally um mcmillan is my my wide receiver one along with so many people in you know in cff have him as their number one as well but um i'm i'm definitely not out on these running backs i think these running backs pose very interesting upside um even if there is a split and a time share going on gun to your head right now ethan which one are you taking Merritt or conley 
I take Connolly just because of his familiarity with with uh, Brennan's system. I would agree with that. Yep. All righty. Let's move on. Finally get out of this domino effect we have going on here. Let's just head on to a guy who really just kind of is in his own little world over here in terms of his co- <coughs> coaching <coughs> change. Excuse me. Let's talk about Jonathan Smith, head coach at Oregon State, heading on over to Michigan State. When people think of Jonathan Smith in the CFF industry, they don't really think of offensive guru, but God dang, do we love his RBs, man. Like, yeah. Once he finds this guy, is absolutely phenomenal. Damian Martinez, last two years, has been great for us. I mean, RB36 this past year. Year before that, RB76, which sounds kind of terrible until you realize that he, he has a true, one, he was a true freshman, <laughs> and then two, still almost had 1,000 yards on the year yeah. it's just that he wasn't really getting the touchdowns to go along with that year before that bj baylor rb26 for us and then before that jamar jefferson was our beauty in our hearts for like yeah. three years there at oregon state so definitely interesting to think about when he goes over to, to michigan state where one mr nathan carter is still hanging around again carter i don't think people realize Got quite a workload last year. 186 yep. carries, 702 yards, only four touchdowns, which really held him back. Again, that Michigan State offense was just atrocious. No scoring opportunities for him whatsoever. But we all expect Jonathan Smith should be an upgrade at head coach. Obviously, basically, Michigan State did not have a head coach last year, so there should be some kind of improvement going on over there. Yep. Carter's an interesting one because here we are. Again, I, I, I fret to say this, and I hope it gets back to me by the time this comes out tomorrow morning. Uh, but we're in the 23rd round of a best ball draft right now, Ethan, and Nathan Carter's still on the board in a system that we know loves to produce great running backs for us. So he's definitely a name I'm interested in. And then quarterback. Quarterback's kind of interesting here. I don't I don't care about the wide receivers, all right? Like the best the best that the best that Smith's been able to produce at wide receiver is uh Bolden this past year, wide receiver 56, and none of the guys that they have between Foster, TJ Sheffield, and Antonio Gates, none of them really wow me in terms of guys that are going to break out yeah. this year but quarterbacks are interesting right we've seen smith work with different types of quarterbacks we've saw dj you last year pretty good quarterback 36 a startable option in fantasy many weeks um he brings with him aiden childs the quarterback yeah. we all love coming in as a freshman last year very limited run last year 35 passes 309 yards, four touchdowns. Pretty solid for a backup. And then the rushing upside is incredible as well. 17 carries, to uh, 79 yards, and three touchdowns. As, as a backup, Childs yep. was. So clearly some great upside there. But another guy that, again, is going super late. Here we are in this best ball. Aiden Childs still on the board. Yeah. Like, what do you think about this, Ethan? Like, is there anybody that you th- – are, are you looking at the same guys as I am at Michigan State? Yeah, I mean, obviously running back is is the the intrigue here. Um, his six years at Oregon State, he had a 41.2% neutral game script passer rate. Um, that was a high of 50.6 in 2019 and a low of 33.3 in 2021. So, uh, you know, I do think that they're going to be needing to, to lean on guys like Carter. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, obviously running back seems like the most replaceable option and, and looking for a guy who, you know, maybe another, uh, a coach is going to fall in love with another guy with a, a new staff there. Um, so it's possible, but uh, Nathan Carter is, 
am I remembering this right? Is he the the UConn transfer? Yes, sir. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's a guy who's impressed at multiple places. Um, he has, he, you know, he's he's not um, necessarily committed to the old guard uh, as a uh, a guy who transferred in uh, recently to Michigan State. So, um, you know, I I really like his his potential. Um, Aiden Childs, you know, love the talent, but it's it's really it's tough. We all wanted Aiden Childs to transfer. We just didn't want him to follow Jonathan Smith. <laughs> so it, it really does pose an interesting um, valuation uh, for Childs, particularly this year. Um, stiffer competition uh, going to Michigan State, um, but the middle of his so the the middle of his schedule really is the the toughest stretch. You know that's where you've got the the powerhouses that they play. Um, but finishing the year against Indiana at Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers Ooh. is a really nice draw to finish the season. And something that I am definitely keeping an eye on late in some best balls because that could really pay off. Um, you know, Rutgers and Illinois aren't pushovers by any means. Um, they have defensive-minded head coaches that are going to be difficult. Um, but there's no reason why this Michigan State team should not be competitive in those games. Um, they this is a big rebuild. Um, this is going to take time. Um, I'm excited about Brian Lindgren. I actually am kind of excited about, uh, TJ Sheffield transferring in. Um, if, if there's a receiver to talk about, I think he's the guy. Um, but I mean, it's, it's absolutely right that if Jonathan Smith has his way, they're not going to be passing a ton, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. I think game script is really going to dictate that, that we get some garbage time and TJ Sheffield is an interesting name. Um, we saw him be productive at Purdue with um, Hudson Card uh, last year. Um, so we've seen him with, I think, a, a less talented quarterback. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do if they are forced to throw the ball. Um, what kind of, you know, what kind of PPR numbers can you put up um, with some some time uh, volume? Yeah, and the other name uh, I think that's interesting to mention here is uh, the tight end, Jack Failing. Last year, yeah. top 10 uh, tight end for CFF last year. And we know that Smith is not afraid to utilize the tight end. I mean, Luke, oh my goodness, Luke Musgrave, anybody? Like, he's had, yeah. a, he's had a pattern of when he has a tight end that he loves, he's going to utilize them. Val, Failing, going through the whole process of transferring to follow Jonathan Smith. So clearly... He likes the idea of hooking up with Aiden Childs, so definitely something to keep an eye out there as well for all of you tight end lovers out there. All right, move on to our next one here, Ethan. This is something, it's getting a lot of people buzzing, but again, it's not the first, it's not, It's probably the second time this has happened in two years. Head coach uh, going to be an OC at a different program. We got to talk about Chip Kelly, the former head coach of UCLA, heading over to Ohio State as their offensive coordinator last year for UCLA was just a stinker all around just despite having a top 40 offense you're talking about a team that their QB1 uh for their for the team Dante Moore 11.09 fantasy points per game just couldn't get anything going now granted part of that is the fact that you know they're switching out with Ethan Garbers even through Colin Schley out there just couldn't get the quarterback situation figured out yeah Kelly is known for just absolutely running guys into the ground. Carson Steele, at best, was RB55 last year. Wide receiver one, 
uh, I forgot his name. Also, Loya, I think is how yeah, you pronounce Chase. it. Um, a wide receiver one fourteen. So just overall putrid offense for CFF purposes last year, which is crazy because you just go back one year to when Chip Kelly was working with Dorian Thompson Robinson, Jack Zach Charbonnet, Jake Bobo. Completely different story. Yep. DTR QB seven. Zach Charbonnet, RB8 that year. Jake Bobo, wide receiver 55. Not grand or anything like that, but it had usable stretches during the CFF yeah. season and clearly much better than whatever they were able to give us last year. So, Kelly, clearly done with the whole head coaching thing, done with the NIL, done with the transfer portal stuff for the most part. He just wants to call plays and coach guys up. He's going to take a step up to a higher program, be the offensive coordinator for them. And just runs into a gold mine of talent here, right? Yep. Bringing over Will Howard from Kansas State. Well, Kansas State might be the least, or excuse me, Will Howard might be the least talented piece of this entire offense, and that is saying something. Yeah. Because yeah. again, coming in, you got Carnell Tate, like Mecca Ibuka, Brandon Innes, all these wonderful guys. You're bringing Jeremiah Smith and, um, oh my goodness, I can't, uh, Graham, the other wide receiver, yeah, um, yeah. coming in this year as a true freshman. And there's even more guys than that. Probably the best backfield in the country, and Trayvon Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins just completely spoiled there. Yeah, a lot to like here, but Ethan, I keep hearing people that there's a lot of talk that this is going to benefit the RBs, be detrimental to the wide receivers for Ohio State moving forward. What's your kind of read on this situation? Do you kind of fall into the same boat, or do you think that you know this is just going to benefit everybody basically? Um, you know. It's it's definitely one of those situations where, you know, does the increased efficiency of an offense uh, translate to everybody eating more despite everybody having smaller slices, essentially? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's going to be really interesting. Do the does the increase in touchdown equity yield uh, enough of a difference um, to be able to make up for the fact that I don't think that the those receivers are going to be getting as much uh, volume? Um, and I, I say, no, I don't think that, that their efficiency is going to equate that way. Um, that being said, I still really like just about every piece of this offense. Um, it's, it's going to come down to pricing. If people still value Emeka Egbuka and Carnell Tate, like they did a month ago, I'm not going to have any of them. Um, but if the, if, hold on, hold on, hold on, Ethan, hold on. Yeah. I drafted Carnell Tate in the sixth round. You were the one who went and took Carnell Tate in the third round in the very next draft. Absolutely. That was before all of this. And and I'll 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 lead into this, but I I think that it is much more of a stock down for Carnell Tate than it is for Mecca Egbuka. Uh the reason being, so Egbuka last year uh played 72.5% of his snaps from the slot. Granted, there was some injury there. Um, but even in 2022, he played 68.3% of his snaps from the slot. Um, Tate only played 26.9% of his snaps from the slot last year. Um, so I think it's very clear that, you know, Tate is the outside guy. He's the MHJ. He's the, the Harrison Jr. replacement on the outside. Um, and I think that is a really tough piece of Chip Kelly offenses to get the ball to. So um Egbuka being in the slot projects to that Kyle Phillips, Jake Bobo role um, that has just seen so much more production over the years. Um, And that means that, you know, we're going to see Tate as the field stretcher. Um, 
both of these guys are better prospects than Kelly has had in the past decade. Yep. So I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So there's, there's a chance that, you know, Chip Kelly just didn't have the guys to, to do this uh, previously. Um, but looking at the 10 years, he's been a head coach. Um, you know, we see uh, a, a, a very subdued uh, passing attack. 41.6% neutral grand script passer rate while at UCLA. Um, that was a high of 47.6 in 2019 and a low of 35.8 in 2020. For con- contrast with Ryan Day, who's, um, his average uh, neutral game script passer rate has been 48.1%. So, you know, there's going to be a dip in the volume that they're throwing the ball. Um, also, the fact that this defense is likely going to just continue to click with Jim Knowles being, mm. uh, you know, the 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 great defensive mind that he is there is not any reason and i know chris k likes to talk about this there is no reason to throw the ball and to overwork your your best weapons in the regular season especially now with the expanded playoff mm-hmm. ryan day has refused to give his guys um you know work when they're returning from injury and um, because he wants to keep them fresh for the end of the year and for when it counts um, so all of those factors kind of stacking up and working together, it's really tough for me to, to, to buy in at the rate that they were going before. Even Carnell Tate in the sixth now is a little bit rich for my blood. I, I don't, I don't really like that. Um, that being said, Quinchon and, uh, Travion, I think, you know, this is, uh, Charbonnet and Britton Brown all over again, that one, a one B, uh, you know, I think that they'll be separated by 40, maybe 50 carries. Um, it, it could be even a, a lot closer of a split than that. You know, bringing in Quinchon means that he knew that, you know, I. it's not a surprise to him that Travion stuck around in my book. You don't pay somebody that much money and then turn around and, and surprise him like that. Like, yeah. this has been, I think these guys bought in. I think they've seen how it's worked at other programs. Um, and I do think that, you don't bring in Chip Kelly and not let him run his offense. Like mm-hmm. Ryan Day is fit to be tied with the the way that this offense has really sputtered um, in post uh, post CJ Stroud, uh, even b- before CJ Stroud. I mean, Stroud even had a little bit of a a stutter step to his his season as a his last season at Ohio State. So, um, yeah, it, it, Ohio State not that. As a Penn State fan, I want to see it, but I think this is just wheels up for the for the uh, Ohio State offense. Um, and the galaxy brain thought that I have on this one coming coming back here is uh, jumping back into the tight end love that we were just talking about yep. uh, with Michigan State. Uh, Chip Kelly loves his tight ends. We see Jelani Thurman, uh, who I believe is a sophomore this year, um, very talented recruit, a guy that a lot yep. of people had have high expectations for, but also Ohio Bobcat transfer Will Kazmarek. Um, yep. coming in as uh, a transfer to this offense. We've seen um, historically, you know, uh, Dulcich um, most recently. I believe there were a few guys before him as well. Uh, Chip Kelly loves to rely on his tight end. So I'm I'm definitely interested in Kazmarek and, and Thurman later in, in drafts this year. And one last thing I want to point out here is, again, you're talking about just letting Chip Kelly run his offense you don't let Chip. You don't bring in Chip Kelly if you're not going to let him run his offense, and you're not going to bring in Will Howard if you're not going to let him run. 
And sure. Chip Kelly loves him some rushing quarterbacks, and I think that is going to be a very big change for the Ohio State offense this year is when you have that triple threat back there of Henderson, sure. Judkins, and, and Howard can take off running at any given point. And also, if you're going to play that style, you've got Devin Brown as a backup who, for all of his you know issues as a passer, he can run the ball. He can run the ball so, really, you know, really well. I am, I, I am not hesitant about Will Howard's rushing uh, for this season. I, I think it's it's all set to go for him. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Our first G. Actually, never mind. I was I, I completely lied there because I forgot Brett Brennan is a G five coach. Anyway, another G five to P five head coach here. We're going to talk about Kurt Signetti and his move from James Madison up to Indiana. First of all, congratulations to Indiana on this hire. This is a legitimately great hire. For a program of Indiana's level, usually you would think of like Indiana, you know, bottom feeder in the Big Ten, really struggling to find a really good coaching hire. But man, they went out and got themselves a really good one in Signetti here. I thought Signetti could go bigger places than the Hoosiers. Yeah. So really, congratulations to all Indiana fans out there. And why? Signetti's been terrorizing the Sun Belt the last two years and frankly should yeah. have two Sun Belt titles to his name at this point, except for the fact that the NCAA has a stupid ass rule. Sorry, <laughs> I don't mean to, I don't curse very often in the show, but it's a stupid ass rule that you yeah. can't compete for a conference championship your first two years in FC, FBS. What are you? Are you afraid of hurting the feelings of the teams already there? Jesus Christ, people. Anyway, um, Signetti's a legitimately great coach. Built up James Madison to an FCS powerhouse, moved up to the SBS, immediately started taking names. He's been working some CFF magic the last couple of years, man. With the quarterbacks that he has had, freaking Todd Santeo and Jordan McLeod. These are guys that would be third stringers, on fourth stringers on most, off, on most rosters across the country. He yeah. took them and turned them both into CFF studs. Santeo is QB 19 in 2022. Jordan McLeod was QB 6 on the year these guys are nobodies that like jordan mcleod has not been able to find a transfer location because nobody else is going to take him yeah. even signetti won't take him at this point because he's like i yeah. don't want you to follow me to indiana like i already <laughs> did i already did it for you once dude like you should have just called it quits there um yeah. i'm sounding so mean right now anyway <laughs> it's warranted it's warranted. the not only has he done great with quarterbacks, he's done great with wide receivers, right? Chris Thornton yeah. last year, wide receiver 26, could have been higher, except for the fact that his touchdowns were greatly reduced. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, he scored, like, five touchdowns the first two weeks and then, like, two the rest of the season, which sucked. But last year, Elijah Brown, wide receiver, what was it, 19 on the year? And not far behind him, Reggie Brown, wide receiver 28. So two solid guys right there. Yeah. Even Phoenix Sproles, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Phoenix Sproles had some, some good weeks there. My question is, as I love this offense. I love Signetti as a coach. I think he's going to do great things for Indiana. Does it translate in year one? This is a big yeah. jump up from the Sun Belt to the Big Ten, and a lot of the players that he's bringing in into Indiana are talented. I like them. They're also kind of making a jump. Curtis Rourke coming from the MAC to the Big Ten, that's a big jump. Even Elijah yeah. Surratt. I love the town of Elijah Surratt coming from the Sun Belt to the Big Ten. Yeah. Surratt's going way too high in drafts, in my opinion, right now. I love yeah, I agree. where he fits in this system right now. I think he'll get the targets, but people got to understand that there's probably some touchdown regression coming his way because of the fact that Indiana's not going to have the um, not, ha- not going to have the scoring opportunities. And not only that, I love Surratt, but they're bringing in a ton of good options at receiver. Miles Price, we liked at Texas Tech. Keyshawn Absolutely. Williams, who we kind of liked at Wake Forest. Miles Cross, who's following Curtis yeah. Rourke. We've talked about this in the past. 
yeah. of that nepotism between guys coming from schools at the same time. Rourke's very familiar with Cross and did well with him last year. And then on top of everything else, Donovan McNully was a wide receiver that a lot of us kind of liked going last year. He yeah. almost went to Penn State, uh, yeah. decided to come back to Indiana. I have, I have to imagine that's Signetti convincing him to come back, saying you're going to have yeah, a big role. Absolutely. So I'm scared they're going to spread it around just like their running back situation. The running back situation is going to be gross. It's been getting yeah. grosser and grosser oh, yeah. the last couple of years. And then this <laughs> year they have Elijah Green, Kalen Black, Tyson Lawton. It's going to be a three-way monster there. I'm not going to do any of that. No but, love for Justice Ellison, too? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about Justice Ellison. You're right. I forgot yeah. that he, was, he, he went there, too. So, again, it's going to be completely gross in that backfield. Yeah, it's gross. But what about you, Ethan? Yeah. So, I think I, I love the hire, first and foremost. Slam dunk. Um, that being said, um, you know, this is going to be a rough season for Indiana just across the board. Um the pieces that they have are very interesting on offense. Um, I don't know what this offensive line is going to be able to do though. And and that is the big concern for me. Um, if they don't have protection uh, working, um, you know, they do have some pieces. They have, they have running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield and they, they have the ability to, to, you know, hit those screens. They, they can keep defenses honest with a running game, but, they really need to be able to keep Curtis Rourke upright. Um, and we're hoping that we see Rourke return to his, you know, his 2022 form, um, maybe have his confidence back, not dealing with that recovery. Um, it's, it, it should be interesting um, to see this marriage uh, and, and how it's going to work. I am also kind of interested in if this does, you know, completely collapse or if there's, you know, any injury or anything like that. We've seen what Signetti has done. I, I, I want to take a second. Todd Centeo. I don't Todd know Centeo. if anybody saw him in Colorado State, but oh my gosh, what an improvement. His, his like a whole turnaround, turning, you know, turning the, uh, the pumpkin into uh, the wonderful carriage um, to lead his team for sure. But I'm really interested in, in you know, maybe Taven Jackson still has some life as a, uh, a dynasty uh, guy yeah. um, in the age of transfer portal. You know, you don't want to make a, an investment in, in a guy like that. But, um, you know, I think there's there's some new life. We love Taven Jackson um, going to Tennessee because of what he would be for that system. Now he's in a system again that could be interesting. So we'll, we'll see sure. on that. But um, the receivers are definitely the cluster uh to deal with here um one of them has to transfer right at least uh after this spring like i feel like we can't have you know five maybe six guys um that are all thinking that they're going to get significant playing time um mccully and price are the two guys that i'm actually i think that they've probably got the best shot at starting i know surat knows that the uh the system well and so i think that he's going to rotate in and be a a heavy usage as well but um i really think that uh you know donovan mccully was sold a bill of of goods that signetti will make good on um, and Mm -hmm. will make right with so lots of late round darts um you know miles cross just for that you know that uh um that connection that little you know nepotism connection there with knowing knowing curtis rourke and knowing that they've got that connection already 
um, is interesting. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. <laughs> Excuse me. Without an injury, though, I, I don't really want to invest in any of those guys. Yeah. If Surratt starts to fall a little bit through drafts, I'll be definitely more interested in him as the season goes on. But for right now, again, I think he's going like usually like third, fourth, fifth round. I can't do it. I can't do it that high. Not with so much. Sure. Not when there's so many other safer guys in that range. All right. Yeah. Let's go to uh, let's go to the SEC. Let's go talk about Jeff Levy, formerly the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, before that Ole Miss, before that UCF. He is now getting his first true head coaching job here at Mississippi State. And, man, we love Levy. We love Levy at CFF. Again, like I said, Oklahoma the last two years before that, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin. Think of your Matt Corrals. Think of you guys like that. Before UCF, you're talking about your Mackenzie Milton's, all of that great jazz they had going on over there. Again, you're hoping that he can go to Mississippi State and get that offense translating over there. The problem is, in my, in many people's minds, in my mind as well, he's probably taking over the worst team in the SEC. Yeah. Eh, never mind. Probably, <laughs> probably second worst behind Vandy. Um, but regardless, like, He's got his work cut out for him. And to be honest, I don't love the options he has right now to work with. He's got yeah. a quarterback, Mike Wright, who is, I don't think, a quarterback that really fits his system super well. Again, rushing upside is great and everything like that, but don't think he's going to quite fit. Blake Shapin, transfer from Baylor, probably your starter there. He fits the system a little bit better. Didn't look terrible at Baylor. Just wasn't really able to kind of get, get his feet off the ground over there. At running back... Seth Davis is kind of interesting, but Levy typically likes to do more of a committee approach. It was kind of very rare to see him go with one guy. Now, granted, given the fact that Seth Davis and Jeffrey Pittman are really the only two major contributors returning to Mississippi State and they haven't really brought in anybody else yet, I think they're interesting. And the wide receivers are interesting, but I don't really know what's going to be ready in year one. Because like Kelly A., we talked about him a couple weeks ago with Nicholas Ian Allen. When he transferred in, we forgot to mention about Kevin Coleman coming in from Louisville. Uh, he's coming over to Mississippi State. That could be interesting. Justin Robinson's still there. Creed Whittemore, the true freshman from last year, now a true sophomore, who's kind of breaking out a little bit. To me, just so much of this team, at least for this year, screams not ready yet. Like yeah. this is <clears throat> These are guys who grab in Dynasty, Stash, maybe for next year and everything like that. But for right now... I'm not investing a ton in this offense. What about you, Ethan? Yeah, I, there's no reason to uh, to wax on this one for too long. Um, I think Blake Shapin is decent quarterback. <clears throat> um, I don't think that he's terrible. I think he is a you know an ideal college fantasy quarterback that we want a receiver that he goes to because he's good enough to funnel the passes to his go-to guys. Um, so. I the only guy that I'm even touching on this offense is going to be Kevin Coleman. Um, okay. I think that Coleman showed flashes um, at Louisville. I think he got disinterested when he realized he wasn't going to be the uh, primary option. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that that played some psychological uh, aspect to it. Um, I also believe that there was some injury uh, trouble last year um, at Louisville as well uh, down the stretch. Um, so, you know, those things working against him, I think new scenery is going to be good, has an opportunity to be the alpha in this offense because they don't have anybody else right now. Um, so 
Um, I, I think that there's a chance that this offensive line is just really, really, really bad. Um, and if that's the case, you know, maybe Mike Wright ends up being a, a viable part of this offense because Shapin is just getting beaten and beaten, beaten down. Um, but you know, that's, that's super out there. That's, that's way mm-hmm. down, down the road in, in the line of possibilities. Um, not anything that we need to concern ourselves with in February for sure. Yeah, no, again, it's just one of those things where <clears throat> I'm just looking at it and you're talking about a, a, a guy who has never really shown that he could build a program before. It's a lot to risk in this year. But again, down the line, obviously we love Levy's offense. So we're going to want to invest in these guys again on a dynasty perspective next year. You're gonna yeah. want you're gonna want to start investing in these guys. See who stands out this year because I think Blake Shapin's got multiple years of eligibility. So if he works out well for them, could be interesting yeah, next year for sure. But for now, I think I'm I'm gonna mostly pass on these guys this year. Yeah. Um. The other interesting thing to kind of talk about here is like again, not an official guy we'll talk about here, but going back to Oklahoma, they got an OC vacancy. Who did they get? Well, they promoted from within. They got Seth Latrell. Um, who's an offensive analyst there. He's now the offensive coordinator. And if you that name sounds familiar, it's because you remember his awesome offenses over at North Texas for basically half a decade, if not more. Uh, just CFF legend after CFF legend over there at North Texas. Uh, he yep. should pick up right where he left off. Um, I really don't see Oklahoma taking much of a step back next year. Again, he was with Lebby last year. He knows the system, that, or he knows what terminology the guys are familiar with. I don't think they're going to skip that much of a beat. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, if uh, if Seth Luttrell can turn Mason Fine into a uh, CFF legend, uh, then we can absolutely buy into Jackson Arnold under his tutelage. So I'm I'm excited for what the Sooners can produce this year for sure. <clears throat> All righty, sounds good. Let's go ahead and move on to our eighth coach. We'll talk about here. Bill O'Brien, technically the former offensive coordinator for Ohio State, but in reality, before that, the offensive coordinator for the Patriots was the offensive coordinator for Ohio State for probably about 10 minutes before he took the head coaching job over at Boston College, which, if you know the backstory, makes a lot of sense. His son has a um, sickness or disease, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but basically some of the best doctors for it in the country are in Boston. So for him, it just made a lot of sense for him. Like the opportunity was there. Boston College was super interested as well. I'll go. I'll go coach for Boston College for a couple of years while my son is while I'm nearby. My son makes a lot of sense in the world. But how does this affect Boston College? Because there are some interesting things here, right? Thomas Castellanos, top ten QB for CFF last year, but we know the kind of quarterback that Bill O'Brien likes to work with, and Bill O'Brien sat there and told. Jalen Milrow, you should not be a quarterback anymore. Wait until he gets a load of Thomas Castellanos because of his skill set. Like, I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch over spring. Does Bill O'Brien buy into using Castellanos, or do they start looking for a guy maybe in the spring that might fit his system and style just a little bit more moving forward? Again, we'll listen for the rumblings of what top because Thomas Castellanos, when the head coach, uh, when had. Uh, Halfley left, posted saying, like, I'm sticking around. But that was before Bill O'Brien was hired. We'll see how those two work out in the spring and everything like that. Definitely something to watch there. What about you, Ethan? What what are your overall thoughts on Bill O'Brien and what could be happening over the next couple of months? Yeah, so I I mean, a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about Bill O'Brien. 
being a Penn State guy, I I respect him. I think that he has the ability to lead a program. <clears throat> I think he is a better head coach than he is coordinator. Um, and I think that um, it is a slam dunk hire for Boston College. He is yep. a BC alum um, as well. Uh, so I did I not think know that. that. You know, a good call. Being able to lock in, you know, being for, being a Boston College graduate, um, the fact that, you know, the doctors are there for his son, this seems like kismet. You know, I, it feels like everything is working together uh, on, on both sides. Um, that's a great story, but what does it mean for the fantasy guy that we, yeah, we for care sure. about? Um, so the first thing, <clears throat> I know that I, I saw on the show sheet that you had uh, picked up. Uh, O'Brien uh, has hired an OC, is that correct? Yes, he has hired a longtime aide of his, Will Lawing, as of, or uh, that, that's what the... Um, that's what everything was pointing towards that he was going to okay. make that higher. Cool. So I I wasn't sure who's retain who he's retaining on the staff and who's going their own way. I'm really interested if he's going to be able to retain Rob Chudzinski as uh, the assistant coach uh, for the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Chudzinski was there with Halfley uh, for the the stretch there, um, and I think that is huge if he's able to return re- retain him. Um, for the simple fact, uh, Jadzinski was the OC the year that the Panthers um, drafted Cam Newton. Um, and so he is familiar with running quarterbacks. He is familiar with designed quarterback runs, which is the important part here. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so PFF uh, said that only 305 yards of Castellanos' 1,113 rushing yards came from quarterback scrambles. So that means that 700 of those yards were reliant on quarterback or coach called design quarterback runs. Um, and I think that that is really going to be the hurdle. I absolutely think that Bill O'Brien can adjust, and I don't think he's afraid of using the quarterback's legs. Mm-hmm. Um, if Matt McGloin was able to, you know, have rushing touchdowns on that Penn State offense, point. you know, Castellanos is going to still have some leg to stand on you know as a rushing quarterback here um for those of you who care about narratives and buy into the uh the whole you know we can read into a lot of you know interpersonal dynamics uh from a way that a coach talks about his quarterback o'brien's already calling this kid tommy i am so pumped that this this is happening and you know i think tommy castellanos is a certified stud regardless of who's there i think that that o'brien is still going to be able to rely on the ground game it's it's going to be interesting to see what they're going to be able to do with designed runs though and i think uh like i said if chadzinski sticks around i think that is a strong indicator that they are still going to be able to to design some quarterback runs and lean on that aspect so let me ask you, um, Ethan, do you have yeah. your rankings for CFF uh, available yet? Or have you have you worked on those yet? Oof. Uh, I did. I don't have them in front of me, though. Well, what are we, what Ca- are we thinking? Castellanos finished as a QB 11 last year. Yes. Are you going to have him in that range again this year? Or are you going to give him a slight bump down with the head coaching change? Oh, it's such a stacked quarterback class this year, too. Um. I would probably bump him down around QB 18, maybe, you know, just around QB 20, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but I, 
knowing that there's that Chudinsky might not be there um, does scare me a little bit. I will say, um, but that that analysis that I gave is really assuming that he's able to retain Chudinsky. Yeah, I'm 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 having him chill right around where he finished last year. I'm still around like QB ten, QB fourteen ish. That's kind of where I have him around okay, still. Yeah. Um, again, a bit of a bump down to where I had him to start the season. I think I started with him around like QB seven, so bit of a bump yeah. down. But I'm I'm kind of on the same. I'm I'm on the same. I'm on board with you in the fact that I think Bill Bryan will adjust and also like. When a guy's run for a thousand yards as a quarterback the year before, it's hard not to have him as high as you possibly can for CFF purposes. Like you're hoping he can improve the passing, but that that upside with the rushing just can provide the safest floor possible. So as long as they let him run, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean he Bill O'Brien makes his bread and butter, you know, with smash mouth toughness. He's he's a he's an old school football kind of mind. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, that he has that going for him in the fact that, you know, if, if Tommy wants to run, he's going to run Tommy. Like, I think that that's going to be the narrative. Um, he's already, you know, done what all of those old school guys do and talk about, we want to be tough up front. We want to impose our will. Yep. That fits with having a quarterback who is going to be able to run the ball. Um, I think it really is interesting too, with Treshawn Ward coming in. Um, if, if we're, uh, moving on to talk about some of those weapons, I think, um, you know, Ward is the big name. I think Kai Robichaud and Jordan McDonald are also going to play a little bit of a factor. So I don't have Ward as, you know, the, the stud running back necessarily, but I think that he's going mm-hmm. to definitely lead the backfield. And I think that he is another winner in this this transition to Bill O'Brien as as head coach. One thing I did notice about Bill O'Brien's track record, both at the NFL and at the college level, is he does like to um, spread the ball around for his wide receivers. Doesn't really typically have one guy. And so, as much as I love Jaron Bradley, Jaden McGowan, Lewis Bond, Joseph Griffin, like, first first of all, all four of those guys I like, that's that's a problem immediately. (laughs) And then, two, again, Bill O'Brien's just not a guy that likes to funnel it to one guy and even Thomas Castellanos last year wasn't really funneling it to one guy. So I think I'm happy to pass on most of those guys in read draft leagues. I will definitely be looking for the, the, you know, the the cheapest guy that falls. Um, Mm -hmm. But the one guy that I I have earmarked is Kamari Morales, the the North Carolina transfer at tight end. Oh, I forgot about that. He did transfer to Boston college. Bill O'Brien has a track record. Um, Kyle Carter and Jesse James, while he was at Penn state, um, combined for roughly 20% of the touchdowns as well as the receiving yards for that year. Um, so I really like this as, as a Morales's uh, stock. Cameron Latu and Jaleel Billingsley also had both ample opportunity while he was at Alabama. Yep. You know, very nice sleeper um, with Kamara Morales. No, that's a great call right there. All right. Let's finish up with our last two uh, coaching changes here. Let's head on over to Texas A&M here, where Colin Klein, the former offensive coordinator for Kansas State, has been hired as the offensive coordinator for Texas A&M. He, Klein really was built by Kansas State, rose up through the ranks, eventually the offensive coordinator, and man, he's done great for us over the last couple of years. Last year, Will Howard, QB12, um, DJ Giddens, splitting that backfield with Treshawn Ward still finishes RB27. 
2022. Howard and Martinez, if they combine, if you combine their fantasy points, because they you know each had about half of the season there, would have combined for QB eight. And then Deuce Vaughn was RB15 right there. So, again, very consistent at running back and quarterback and very consistent at wide receiver just in a bad way. Like, (laughs) Philip Brooks this past year, wide receiver 105. Um, Malik Knowles the year before, wide receiver 87. So, probably out on guys like Noah Thomas, uh, Jade Walker, Cyrus Allen, Jabray Barber. Is that how you pronounce his name? We'll go the, the, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, I'm I'm out on the Texas A&M wide receivers, just given Klein's history there. Obviously, I think this is good news for Connor Wigman because Wigman can run. He's not like a run first kind of guy, but like over the last couple of years, we've seen that he is willing to run. So I think that Klein is going to utilize that a little bit more than we've seen in the past. But obviously, like between Giddens and Vaughn, man, like you love to see that running back production there, but. What are we going to do with these Texas A&M running backs? Because all three of the three-headed monster from last year return between Daniels, Le'Veon Moss, and Ruben Owens. Plus, they bring in EJ Smith from Stanford. So now you got four running backs in this room with a guy that typically goes with one main running back, maybe two like he did last year, but even still the, the number one guy still got a ton of work. Yeah. If I'm going to take a shot in this room... I'm going to still go with Ruben Owens. The upside's there. The talent's there. Amari Daniels, Le'Veon Moss, we know what they are. But, man, if there is one guy I think that if, they, if Klein is gung-ho about, like, I'm going to rely on one guy, Owens feels like the guy that he's going to, he's going to go to. The receiving ability is there for Owens. The between-the-tackles ability is there. I'm fully on board with taking shots on Owens throughout the year. Um, especially as, as late as he's been going. Uh, while you talk, Ethan, I'm going to look up to see kind of where he's been going. But what do you think about this hire? What do you think about this? what this means for Wigman, the running backs? Maybe you have a wide receiver that you like. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yeah, uh, for for wide receiver, I put not interested in any um, in, in my section of my notes here. So, Makes sense. Um, I, I definitely am interested in Wigman. Um, I don't think that he's going to be Will Howard on the ground, but I don't think he needs to be. Um, I really think, you know, um, getting an extra 200 yards, you know, three or four rushing touchdowns on the ground could definitely be interesting for his, his fantasy boost. Um, they are, you know, they're efficient in throwing the ball in Klein's offenses. They just don't do it a ton when they have the, the, the option. Um, so, you know, I think that, that Wigman, um, still has, you know, a decent upside, um, but he's not necessarily a guy who I am going to be pounding the table for uh, in in drafts this year. Um, it's definitely, you know, who is this running back going to be? Who is the the, the lead back going to be? Um, that's the question that I'm trying to answer here, um, because I think that that ground game is going to be paramount for what uh, Klein and Elko want to build uh, out of this Texas A&M offense. I, too, think Ruben Owens is the best option um, if I'm taking – a shot on anybody um just really seems like he's the most electric guy he's the guy who's, who catches the ball i think that is going to determine the usage in this backfield is how well these four guys translate to a receiving role mm-hmm. um and i think there are enough egos in this room that i think somebody's going to be leaving um at the end of spring practice as well for sure um so it, i mean 
I like Amari Daniels if he ends up being the guy. I like Ruben Owens more if he ends up being the guy. Um, I want the guy in this room. I think EJ Smith has a chance just with leadership and being a guy that, you know, new coaches always want to instill a culture in that locker room. Coming from Stanford, you assume that EJ Smith is the kind of guy that you can uh, kind of build uh, that that culture around and, and build um, as a good locker room presence. So I I really think that Le'Veon Moss is going to be the guy on the outside looking in. But um, you know, it it could be Amari Daniels. Um, I, I think it's it's really just going to be an interesting uh, spring and one that I'm very excited to see play out this is one of those rooms that i don't touch in february but i'm really going to want a piece of uh as we move closer and closer to the season Uh, i think it's a very good call and currently ruben owens is going as the rb54 uh right near the end of the 10th round it looks like between guys like chip trayonum katron allen and roman hemby that's kind of the range he's been going in recently that's fair with the, the concerns around or the question marks in this 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 running back room, but I I would probably take him above Katron and Hamby, but not Trayonum. Yeah, he is um again he Owens is RB fifty four. The next Texas A and M RB to come off the board is EJ Smith at RB eighty one. And that looks like it's about five rounds later. So just to kind of give you an idea of what the value is for these guys right now. God, I love having ADP again. I love having the, this sure. kind of stuff to, to actually analyze. This is going to be great. Um, all right, let's touch on our last coach here, Ethan. Yeah. Uh, we're running pretty much right on time here, actually. We're, we're finishing up pretty much right on time, so that's great cool. to see. So let's not take forever on this one. <laughs> um, Mike Denbrock. Former offensive coordinator at LSU, going over to be the offensive coordinator out of Notre Dame now. This is a big hire, in my opinion, for Notre Dame. Like this is, I thought Den Brock was going to be one of those untouchable guys this offseason. And when this news came down that LSU was losing the offensive coordinator that really gave them their seasons the last two years, yeah. I, you know, I was a little flabbergasted. So well done to Notre Dame here. The wide receiver situation and running back situation for Denbrock is very up and down. Like you're talking about last year, Logan Diggs, RB105. Year before that, Josh Williams, RB132. Year before that, Jerome Ford, RB17. So, like, he can produce great running backs, but it seems like he needs a nfl caliber running back there because obviously jerome Ford's playing on sundays right now so clearly he has something there with that and you gotta love that if you're sitting there with a jadarian price or a jeremiah love share depending on who gets the backfield there wide receivers similar situation where it just depends on the year man like alec pierce wide receiver 68 last or in 2021 clear gut number one guy for cincinnati you like to see that Last year at 2022, Malik Neighbors, one wide receiver 146, and that was the best wide receiver they had because Dre Jenkins at 262 and Kayshawn Butte at wide receiver 265. So spread it around a ton last year. And then this year, all they did was force feed Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas over and over again to the point where they had two top 10 wide receivers in CFF last year. So running back wide receiver, man. It's up and down. It's going to be hard to gather 
what yeah. they're going to be able to do in Notre Dame this year. But the one consistent thing we've seen with Mike Denbrock over the last really six years has been the quarterback situation. Ethan, I can see you almost shaking like a caffeinated chipmunk over there, <laughs> ready to talk about this. So yes. talk to us about Mike Denbrock and his history of quarterbacks and what that can mean yeah. for a certain quarterback in Notre Dame. So I'm going to pivot real quick. And oh. you, you teed this up. Um, in that the one thing that Dembrock consistently does well is is produce a quarterback. I will say, this is the third time I've mentioned a tight end. Mike Dembrock, the tight end coach, as well as OC, produces good tight ends. Mm -hmm. uh, Cincinnati, Josh Wiley and Josiah De DeGuerra, um, and then Mason T Taylor at uh, LSU. I think this is stock up for Mitchell Evans. I, I really like that. But that's not why we're here. You know, we are here because we want to talk about Riley Leonard. Um, I think when looking at Denbrock's history and trying to project Riley Leonard, we really need to toss out Jaden Davis. I think we need to look at Desmond Ritter as that historical comp. I say this because, and I, I'm going to put a caveat here. I'm not sure how PFF handles run pass options mm -hmm. um, when considering their scramble. Uh, metric and 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 what production came from scrambles um but last year Jaden Daniels ran for 1250 yards um but only 529 of those were on designed runs that's 42.32 percent um that means that the majority of those runs are coming from scrambling um and from passes breaking down in 2022 he ran for 1079 yards but again, only 411, an even lower amount, that's 38% of his uh, running production came from designed quarterback runs. So Mike Dembrock was not necessarily the reason why they had such productivity on the ground at quarterback. Um, but we, I mean, that could be why Dembrock wasn't utilizing his running backs as much. He knew if he called a pass play, they're mm -hmm. the decent chance that, that that's going to be a, a, a chance for Jaden Daniels to uh, use his legs. Um, so I think that there's a little bit of correlation there. I think that there's a, a fact that no, I think it's a great despite call. Despite these scrambling yards not being there, um, or, or these scrambling yards being there for Daniels is the reason why the, the running back position suffered at LSU. Um, but moving into the direct comp between Riley Leonard and Desmond Ritter, so in 2022, that's Leonard's best year so far. Obviously got injured last year, so that might have been a little unfair. Uh, he ran for 776 yards, but only 56 or, or 56 and a half of those, um, 56 and a half percent of those yards uh, were on designed runs. So definitely a, an uptick compared to Davis. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Desmond Ritter, uh, in his senior year, he had 68.63% of his rushing yards coming uh, on um, on designed runs. So, or from scrambles, I'm sorry. Let me, let me recap that. Desmond Ritter had 68.63% of his rushing um, on the designed runs as opposed to the scrambles. So I think that that means that Riley Leonard having, you know, just a little bit less than that at 56%. I think that that really means, you know, we're going to see a similar rushing production. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to see designed runs, but we're going to see them lean on the running back for the majority of the actual runs um, because we're only getting, you know, about 
30 or 40% of the quarterback rushing production coming on scrambles. Yep. So I think, you know, 650, 750 rushing yards for Riley Leonard, the sweet spot um, that we're looking at for rushing production. Um, And I really think that, you know, Jaden Daniels was a Heisman winner for a reason. And I think that that, yes, Denbrock put him in a great position for that, but I think that there was just a supernatural ability that was there um, for Daniels that Riley Leonard isn't going to be able to replicate. Well, here's the thing. Desmond Ritter in 2021 was still a top 12 QB for CSF. Absolutely. So like, like you, it sounds like you're downplaying Leonard here and everything, but in reality, like if you're comparing him to Desmond Ritter, Desmond Ritter was a force for CFF for multiple years. For that us. just so, puts like, in perspective Jaden Daniels last year. I would say that just shows how crazy Daniels was last year. Yeah. Like, you're talking about a like, guy that ended with like two 60-point games to end the year. Like this, absolutely, It was yeah. just absolutely insane what Daniels was doing. Now, yeah. clearly we don't, have, we don't expect that, but I think we can pretty safely say that if Denbrock uses leonard in the same way that he used desmond ritter you're probably looking at a very safe top 24 qb here and i probably have him too low in my rankings right now if i am being real because again i like riley leonard obviously he's coming off the injury that's going to be a little bit of hesitation there but the system's there um i I, the talent's there the skill set's there for denbrock to use i'm a little worried about who he has to work with receiving wise though yeah because completely fair they brought in a ton of wide receivers. They brought in Chris Mitchell, Bo Collins, Jaden Harrison. These are all three guys they brought out of the portal. You got Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse coming back. Um, but apparently they were also trying to court Ricky White into the portal from UNLV. So that just screams to me they're not happy with what they have. And that we're not going to see week one a guy stand out as, oh, that's clearly Ru- Leonard's go-to guy his safety blanket stuff like that unless like you said ethan they go to mitchell evans and in which case that's beautiful for cff but i think i think without without them set settling on who that guy's gonna be leonard's ceiling gets a little bit capped by that what do you think yeah for sure i i definitely think that a spring transfer and maybe an in-state spring transfer from indiana um could be something to watch um there's no way that these receivers are going to put Notre Dame in the position they want to be uh, placed in um, for this upcoming year. Um, Mitchell Evans, out of those guys, you know, I feel like Mitchell Evans is perhaps the top fantasy producer if they go into the season with that as their their wide receiver core. So um, I don't want to downplay Chris Mitchell's talent because he – put up some really fun games uh, at Florida international um, with zero quarterback help. I mean, they zero, were nothing. atrocious. What was that? There, there was a stat last year where Florida international quarterback had four passing yards, I believe in, in the game. Yes, so, it was. That is, that is yeah, true. So uh, the fact that he was able to find production and be a, uh, a wide receiver prospect that was highly touted in the transfer portal this year says and speaks to his ability so i think that that's going to be interesting yes um, it was uh james the quarterback the first game of the year Grayson james yeah louisiana tech they almost won that game by the way yeah yeah <laughs> with four uh, passing I, I, yards he started on sunny cumby as the uh as, as a head coach but yeah uh <laughs> all of that to say i i appreciate you uh uh, uh noting you know how 
good Ritter was still with those stats because that I definitely was was not implying that Ritter um you know is his production wasn't something that we wanted a piece of we it's just to highlight the fact that Mike Denbrock has the ability to make these guys successful and to really utilize their skill set and if they're not the ones who are going to be scrambling and making extending plays and, and doing things outside of structure, he will set the structure in place so that they're able to succeed. All right. I think that is a very good note to end on. Mike Denbrock, they're probably an underrated offensive coordinator in the country right now. I think that's a good place for us to finish off. Ethan, you have been absolutely phenomenal. Love the knowledge that you're able to bring on the show today. A lot of great perspective. We don't typically get on here to bring up a lot of stats that people don't really think about. So, if they want to hear more of that kind of stuff, Ethan, again, they can find you on Twitter at Ethan Sowers. What other kind of, um, I almost said products, but whatever the kind of stuff are you working on that people might be interested, Ethan? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, off season, I am going to be uh, helping out with the supplemental guide. Uh, as you had mentioned, that that freshman guide that's coming out, freshman supplemental guide. Um, I believe uh, we said that's our March 1st uh, product to be watching for. So um i'm definitely excited to be writing some profiles and and jumping in there um most of you will probably see me in a best ball at some point this off season um i have really loved uh being able to um you know expand what i call my portfolio um of fantasy sports i uh have a concept of being a portfolio player um, that I am looking to uh, produce some more content around uh, this offseason. Um, C2C leagues, uh, you know, having a high volume that I play in, I, I'm, I'm in around 30 C2C leagues um, on top of Dynasty leagues, CFF leagues, and, and best balls. Um, so the idea of being able to manage all of these things and um, maybe some tools to help you manage them are in the works uh, on my end. Um, but yeah, check, check out the, uh, the Twitter feed and, and engage with me over there. Um, I'm always down to talk shop. So, uh, other than that in season, uh, make sure you're checking out, uh, campus to caching with myself and Chris K. Um, we are, you know, we'll wax poetic on some Sunbelt three game slates on, on Tuesday, uh, evening. So, uh, feel free to check us out over there. And on top of everything else, Ethan is just one giant teddy bear. So you can absolutely reach out to him with questions about pretty much anything. And he will sure. he will be friendly and help you guys out with that. So again, if you haven't already, make sure you follow him. You are severely underfollowed, sir. Let me just say that right now. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, in terms of everything else we got going on over here, like I mentioned, we're helping out with the supplemental draft for Campus to Canton, so be sure to check that out for any of you playing C2C or CFF Dynasty Leagues. Got that coming out. We will have our... Uh, CFF rankings on the website here pretty soon, I believe. I don't think I'm going to go for March 1st because, again, that's when the supplemental draft comes out. So we'll probably do it maybe a week after that. Early March, we'll have our first CFF rankings up for everybody. And we'll be releasing the February ADP from all of these mock drafts and best balls that we've been doing so far so that all of you can really get a deep dive into what does a player pool look like, where are guys going. It should be a ton of fun. So until then... We have come to the end of our show. Thank you all for listening. If you have not already, go ahead and leave that like, comment, and subscribe down below if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're on the podcast, follow us and make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you can, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or maybe Google Podcasts. I don't know if they do that over there. Um, regardless, 
Make sure you check out the rest of the Campus Canton podcast feed if you're listening to us there for shows pretty much ranging on anything you can possibly think of related to the college fantasy game. Until then, we'll see you guys back here next Monday where we're going to start looking at, or we're going to continue looking at coaching changes, this time focus on what's going on at the G5 level. So until then, really appreciate you guys, and I hope you guys have a wonderful, blessed week.